You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. I think I kind of helped found this direct marketing, the mail order business, the catalog business as it is now, the small catalogs, large catalogs, the ones that come in the mailbox that you say to me, there are too many of them. Entrepreneur Lillian Vernon, today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Well, today we'd probably call it a side hustle, but that term hadn't been invented yet in 1951 when Lillian Vernon started a small mail-order business from her kitchen table. Now, at that time, she sold personalized purses and belts, targeting young women like her, with an ad in Seventeen magazine. Born in Germany, she came to America with her family in 1933, and she became an American citizen a few years later. And then, as a 24-year-old housewife, she started a small business, as so many people do today, just to bring in a few extra bucks. And her business began to grow and grow, eventually becoming one of the nation's first and foremost direct mail retailers. In fact, you've probably gotten a Lillian Vernon catalog in the mail at some point over the years. I met her in 1996 when she wrote a book called An Eye for Winners. So here now from 1996, Lillian Vernon. I should tell you at the outset that any number of people here in the newsroom, when they heard that you were coming today, asked me to pass along to you their greetings and their thanks for all the years that they have been shopping from your catalog and enjoying your products. And it seems like you know, it's one of those things where I guess everybody kind of just assumes that everybody owns something from your catalog. It's just I, they were coming out of the woodwork to to, to make That's sure that nice. make sure that I passed along their greetings and and their best wishes. Thank you. You know, most people tell me the last thing they bought, which is really a hoot. And they expect me to know what page it's on and what, <laughs> what the use on. This woman just told me about what she's buying. She pointed out in the catalog. And they don't realize how flattering it is. As I, did you have any conception on that first day back in what, 1951 mm-hmm. that it would ever come to this, where not only would you have this hugely successful business, but that you would be writing a book and going on tour and being on the radio and TV talking about it? Well, I would never imagine that. I mean, you know, here I was going to earn 50 bucks, make life a little simpler. Not, I was not a real great component of housework. I really didn't love it. So I said, make 50 bucks. I'll get myself a cleaning girl. And I did. And uh, I think I kind of helped found this direct marketing, the, the mail order business, the, the catalog business as it is now, the small catalogs, the large catalogs, the ones that come in your mailbox that you say to me, there are too many of. Uh, but you, I hope you keep mine and keep noticing it. But you've got one of those names. It's almost it's almost a household name now. I mean, we we you know a lot of these catalogs that I get are from companies I've never heard of. They have stuff in there that I've never seen before and really don't necessarily care to see before. But I know when a Lillian Vernon catalog comes to the house, I know what it is, what what it is. It's something I'm familiar with. Well, somebody told me from housewife to household name. So I think it's better to be a household name. <laughs> not that it, not that I'm not a housewife, but you know, you get out to talk to you, Bill. Being a household. There name. you go. And why don't you know what's on every page? Well, that's a whole other question. <laughs> <laughs> I do know what's on every page. I do know every one of those six thousand items that I sell. Well, see, I, that was coming through as I was reading your book. Is the intimate, hands-on knowledge that you have of everything that has your name on it, or the, or that's sold under your name? Well, I like the day-to-day operations of a business. I don't mind the nitty-gritty. I, I'm a visionary, but you know, how many hours a day can you be a visionary? 
but the day-to-day business has to be handled and has to be taken care of, and there are people in trouble. Somebody gets sick, and you have to fill in for them, and I like that part of the business. And I, I'm really a professional. been there for 45 years. i got a lot of knowledge. And in order for the company to continue into the future, I've got to teach that knowledge and share that knowledge. That was what struck me about this book. I've read a lot of books on, that are either memoirs of how I did it or how-tos, here's how you can do it. But you have done the skillful blend of both, where you're telling these fascinating anecdotes about what has happened to you, mm-hmm. and then there's the sidebar that says, or here's how you should do this mm-hmm. if you're going to be faced with this problem. I thought, found that to be a fascinating concept, a great way to do this book. Well, I'm a storyteller. There was a meeting that I have, you know, staff meeting or anything like that I don't end up saying to you, i got one story for you. Or go to a party and say, I've got this, you know. And, and things in life really interest me, and I find situations very amusing. And I really think a very, an entrepreneur, I, I feel, has to have an enormous sense of humor, because I think people with great senses of humor are very intelligent. I have met an entrepreneur that really isn't intelligent. You know, it's not your run-of-the-mill kind of person. <laughs> True. So, you know, put them all together, you really have a chance to meet a lot of wonderful people. You also have to be rather courageous to be an entrepreneur, don't you? Yeah, but entrepreneurs don't think of that. I mean, they just do what they have to do, and they go on with it, and they don't even think that it's courageous, that they're taking risks, that they could fail, because they never, in their in their minds, I don't think they understand failure. And they do. I mean, everybody stumbles, and, you know, it's my one of my famous lines, everybody stumbles. Quality of the person is how they pick themselves up. How did you decide that the book should begin uh, in, in, your, in your early years? Uh, I, I, know, I guess I, I'm asking, how did you know that this had to be a kind of an autobiography, a memoir? I, you know, it's interesting. I was on a, on a, a Bloomberg's program in, in, in London, and they dug out all that information about Benjamin Franklin. I never knew he started mail order. <laughs> so, I mean, did you? I didn't. And it was sort of, you know, the kind of nonsense that's nice to know, though. It makes a good story. And then somebody said, well, maybe it'll make a good story to say where you really came from, how you started, what kind of a family you grew up with. And the interest, at, which is it's so interesting now with, with all the immigrants in America, coming to America, the hostility toward immigrants, how I came from a very charmed life of a, of, of a little princess to really some fairly dark and hard years, going to two countries, learning two, three languages before I was eight. That wasn't easy. Does that does that shape who you become and how you and how you run the rest of your life then? Sure does. Don't you think so? Think of your life. Yeah. That's... Those early years really, really shape you. I don't know. I've, I've been trying to figure out, I guess, all my life what my early years are trying to tell me. But that's because I. <laughs> that's a lifetime journey. Yes, yeah, I, I have to confess, and I'm not saying this just because you were sitting here, but you and people like you who who have done this are real heroes to me because when I was, ever since I was that high, I wanted to I wanted to do something that people would be interested in buying, either either making something. I used to make mm-hmm. little potholders and mm-hmm. go door to door or doing a service like this, you know, like talking on the radio that people would want to buy. I've, I've always wanted, and for, for you to, to have the, this is the kind of idea I could have had, to put an ad in a magazine and sell bags and belts with initials on. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the kind of thing that I had, I had the foresight and wherewithal to, to have done that. Would have done, and to, to read your story. I mean, I'm getting into this. My adrenaline is starting to pump hearing you tell the story. Mm. You know, I'm giving a speech at the direct marketing convention down in New Orleans in a couple of weeks. So somebody said to me, "Why don't you talk?" I'm, I'm the keynote speaker of all people. What? Are, I have nothing left to say. So I, somebody <laughs> said, "Why don't you tell them what you'd do if you had to do it over again? What would be the product now?" And the product would be a ten dollar gold chain bracelet. You know, one of those link bracelets with a big monogram on it at ten dollars. 
Now, I would have to buy a gold mine and mine gold at $2 an ounce. I'm not sure I can do that, <laughs> but that was really a parallel to what I did then. That leather bag at $3 and the belt at 2 which was so cheap even then, you know, for what I was doing. And uh, I think the one thing that I would like to do is to give back. I don't mean money. I mean, I think giving back is more than just saying, oh, well, you know, I'll give the Kennedy Center or I'll give Lincoln Center or this, that, and the other thing, or, you know, God's love we deliver, whatever. I think it's giving back of yourself, letting people see that they can do it and giving them the courage to do it. And if that sounds conceited, I don't mean it to be that way. No, not, not at all. Jerry Spence was sitting here just yesterday and said almost the same thing. He said he had been told as a child that a gift is not complete until you have passed it on to somebody I like else. That. I may steal that line. He's going my, <laughs> is he going my route? <laughs> After this short break, how Lillian Vernon maintains a competitive edge. Back to my 1996 conversation with Lillian Vernon. I was talking to one of the young women in my office. She just came back. Her husband finally grabbed her after two days. And he says, you've been just working to what she is. Sweet. I said, she go in on those pink bathtub places. You know, they are a couple. <laughs> but I really feel I, my job is to empower them, to really, you know, give them the permission to be the best that they can be. It takes a great deal of care, though, I would guess, from, from the reading of your book and, and just from meeting you for these three minutes, you would take, have to take a great deal of care because what goes in that catalog that has your name on it mm-hmm. can't be just a piece of junk that you're going to get and the, two days later it's going to fall apart or if it comes to your right. house it's, it's cracked mm-hmm. in two or you know the stuffing comes out of something. Or... We put the money up front. Somebody asked me that question yesterday. I, I mean, have you cut back? Since the whole industry had such a debacle with the paper prices last year, we were all hit so badly. Book publishers. That book shouldn't be $23 probably, except paper escalated last year. And I said, we put our, we put our money up front in quality. What do we need it back for? What do we need an unhappy customer for? What do we need a refund for? I just assume pay Norman and his team right up front. And it pays. I mean, there wasn't anyone that didn't meet that told me what they bought and how happy they were. Because there are competitors, there are knockoffs that uh, have catalogs that arrive, and they, they want us to think that they're like Lillian Vernon. Customers know where the real quality is, don't they? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Customers know it, they appreciate it, and then we have competitors that sell cheaper, you know. It's very easy to go take a knockoff, take an item, knock it off. It's a little smaller, it's a little thinner, and it looks the same when you photograph it, but it isn't the same when you uh, you receive it. I pride myself, and that's another thing I heard yesterday. Our prices are very fair, very low. And I thought I'd share some of that in the book, An Eye for Winners, just just to tell people if they want to do it, go ahead. I mean, you know, what did I have to lose? Well, well, calling to mind your title, which I assume was the title you chose. No, I didn't choose. Somebody else. (laughs) Someone else chose it. Not the publisher. We had a contest. We have a contest at the office about everything. Right now, about how many books I'm going to sell. And and who's going to win the contest? Well, the boyfriend says a hundred thousand. Then he wants something special, which makes me very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means? I said rolls. No, he doesn't like rolls. It's Bentley. I don't know. I'm a little nervous. Uh, some people say more. Some people say less. I I think I hope to sell fifty thousand. Hundred thousand guaranteed. New York Times bestseller. Them. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm pushing it. I'm out there, pushing the company. I'm pushing myself. I think that I'm enjoying it. 
I'm a ham. I should have been an actress. But you've got a story people want to hear. I mean, people want to know that that somebody can come and start with a single ad and a single magazine and build it into what, by many standards, is an empire. Oh, it is. How many people say, did you ever expect to be where you are? I said, absolutely not. I mean, you know, here I am. $238 million, it's pretty impressive to me. Maybe not what you're talking to one of the Fortune 500 companies. I mean, look what Chrysler did yesterday. But nevertheless, you know. It's, it's pretty good. But I think there's also a lot of people who will find particular comfort in the fact that there is room for successful women entrepreneurs in this mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. That you don't need a man to do it for you. That you are no. perfectly capable of doing I it yourself. I think they're the ones that are going to leap now. And that's really what I think the book should do. And I hope it does. It's just some mentoring. So you're capable of it. These women are hitting glass ceilings. It's still there. they got kids at home. Child care is not that easy. You know, you talk about Adrian Zakheim is my publisher, and he, his wife didn't show up for one of the book parties. He said, the babysitter quit. I, what is it? Jumped ship. I mean, some cute little word. You just couldn't come that night. And they, they don't go. I mean, you don't go when you don't have a babysitter. You know that. So they work home, you know, and they need to get started. Exactly. But your book is empowering. It will give a lot of people, a lot of women and men, a mm-hmm. lot of courage to say, well, Hey, you know, she, you know, she didn't start out a 238 millionaire. Yep. I mean, she, uh, you know, she started out on day one with a couple of thousand dollars and a kitchen table. You know, you know what I think is important is, is that people try it, do it. And I think they, the one thing women really want, when I speak to women, they don't want to make millions of dollars. They really don't. I mean, it's nice if they do when they have to go into business knowing the bottom line is important. They've got to earn money. They want to know how to have a happy life, a family life, and everybody has those dark passages. I mean, I speak of them, and I think that's empowering to know that, you know, they're not the only ones that are having problems. They want a happy life. They want to have a family. They want to have relationships, whether it's with children, with with marriage, whatever it is. They want another person in their life. And they really want to learn how to give back. I wonder if some entrepreneurs, women and men, are not prepared for the success of their own business. When it gets large enough, it changes. It it. it it becomes something different than when you had just two thousand dollars on a kitchen table, doesn't it? Well, women are many women are afraid of heights. And the, one of the stories I told one of the conventions I went to, and I said, you know, when you walk the ladder of success, the boys look up your dress. But women are walking up that ladder, and they are getting there, and they just have to be sure they're not afraid of that height. And some of them are terribly afraid. I mean, we've had women in executive positions that ultimately could not stand the heights of the responsibility. Well, in fairness, a lot of men can't either. You don't hear about them. And you, you'll never hear, I, I, I never bash anybody, but you do not hear about the men that can't stand the heights. You do hear about the women. But in the end, yours is a very encouraging, very uplifting book. Do you know, it's interesting. I mean, I end the book saying that I was in the Lincoln White, you know, in the White House, which to me is still a miracle. Here I'm an immigrant. I walk off that little, that, that big Staten um, uh, boat in, in Ambrose Lighthouse, and I'm saying, isn't that incredible? And that, I find, is the magic. If you don't get jaded and say, it's coming to me. And I don't feel it is. I don't think it's coming to me, and it's, it's such a special treat. I, ha- I had to ask you, is there one item from all the years that you've been doing the catalog, is there one item that it's just it stands out in your mind It's your favorite thing you've ever sold? Well, the one that makes lots of money is always a favorite. <laughs> but if you can blend that with with something you really like and, and admire and respect the quality of, I think it's those Battenberg Angels. We had a co- cover last year, and everywhere I went, somebody would say, my tree is covered with those angels. We did a very smart marketing promo. You bought 
They were $10 a set, and if, if you wanted three sets, you got them for 20 And we sold enough to cover 250,000 American trees and white Battenberg angels, <laughs> hopefully without Christmas lights. Lillian Vernon died in 2015. She was 88. And you can get your copy of An Eye for Winners by Lillian Vernon by clicking on the link in our show notes or by going to our website, heardeverything.com. And that's where you can also hear my 1996 conversation with another well-known female entrepreneur, the founder of Mrs. Fields Cookies, Debbie Fields. Before I started the Mrs. Fields Cookie business, I actually weighed about 25 pounds more. I tried every diet under the sun. Every diet book basically said, give up dessert, give up chocolate. Now, I can't give up chocolate. And my 1994 conversation with the woman who helped create an American icon, the creator of the Barbie doll, Ruth Handler. My husband and I were the founders of Mattel in 1945. His great contribution were all those wonderful Mattel toys, such as Hot Wheels. My great creation was the Barbie doll. And of course, as you know, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. Thanks so much for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, to mark the 4th of July holiday, a conversation with a man who helps us see things the way that many of us often take for granted. My 2013 interview with Simon Winchester. The lack of curiosity about America by so many Americans is something that I was hoping I might try and reverse with this book, which I would like to think sort of will rekindle a sense of curiosity and then enthusiasm and then optimism. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.